My voice is a little raspy because I sang a little loud. I had to declare that down front, man. My, I just ripped a vocal cord. I think I pulled a hamstring too, but that's okay. Amen. Matthew chapter 9. We wrap up this series today as you go. Beginning in verse 35, it says this. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area. We serve a Savior. This rabbi was like none other. He went to where people were. He wasn't content to sit in a synagogue, but he went to where people were. He was a rabbi on the move, itinerant. He was traveling. Aren't you thankful that Jesus comes to us? Come on, let me say that again. Aren't you thankful that Jesus comes to us? Through all the towns and villages he traveled and he was teaching in the synagogues, yes, but he was also announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion. Shout out Pastor Chase Courtney. Incredible message preached last Sunday right here on compassion. He had compassion, sympathetic pity. He felt, he hurt, he was moved by what he saw in the lives of people. He didn't just think about them and just wish them well or good luck. He did something about it. He hurt with them. When he saw the crowds, he had that type of compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I know that this is just a biblical problem, that our culture today is not confused, is it? People, we're not helpless these days, are we? We've got it all figured out. Just put some duct tape on it, Tony, and it'll fix everything, right? It's a problem that Jesus faced here in Matthew chapter 9. People wandering around like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. And so pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Today is Palm Sunday. It is a dichotomy between all sorts of things, two different emotions outcomes, forecast. I mean, it's just the beginning of Holy Week. It's the beginning of symbolically of Jesus's final week here on earth. As he entered into that city of Jerusalem, the crowds are gathered and waving palm branches and shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. They're waving. They are believing that he is the one that will rescue them politically. That he is the one that will restore them nationally. But Jesus came to restore people spiritually. So they're shouting his praises, thinking that he will come and, and they will finally defeat Rome. And Israel will rise up again. But we know from Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that Jesus came not to establish a throne in a city, 
on earth, not to become some political or national powerhouse or figure, but he came to seek and save. He came to find and restore the lost. You see, while the people are celebrating, Jesus knows what will take place. Just five days from this moment, those same people shouting his name and, 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 and waving palm branches and lining the streets for will be the very ones calling for him to die and cursing at him as he hung on a cross. You know, as Jesus made his way into Jerusalem that week, it says that Jesus wept over a city. He cried over Jerusalem. You see, he knew what would happen. And what drove him to tears was the people there that needed a savior, that needed him to go to a cross. Jesus wept over a city because it was lost. When's the last time we wept over the lostness of people? When is the last time you cried and you were moved to that emotion over the lost people around us? Have you ever? Maybe that family member. Maybe a relative, maybe a coworker, maybe a classmate, a teammate. When is the last time you were so distraught and hurt over their spiritual condition, much like Jesus here? In Matthew chapter 21, as he rides in on that donkey that day. Wow. Man of sorrows. He hurt over the lostness of a city. In Matthew chapter 9 here, Jesus is sharing with his disciples, and that's an important thing for us to remember today. He's sharing with his disciples about people, and he calls them a harvest. He says the harvest is plentiful, but it's the workers that are few. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send workers into the harvest field. I want you to know that when Jesus looks around our culture today, he sees a great harvest and he sees a harvest that is ripe. It is ready. I don't know if you know anything about har any farmers in the house today. Okay. All right. We depend on HEB and I love those HEB commercials about local growers and farmers down and those guys catching fish for me to eat. Don't you just love that? I'm, gr I'm grateful for that, right? It's much better for me to go purchase it than to grow it myself. Amen. Let's just declare that. But Jesus is saying there is a harvest that is right. I don't know if you know much about a harvest, but, but, but when Jesus looked over Jerusalem and when Jesus is challenging his disciples here in Matthew chapter 9, he sees a harvest. And when Jesus sees a harvest, you need to understand something. He sees a harvest that is valuable. It's worth something. Listen, when Jesus sees people, people matter to him. All lives matter. Those who have it figured out and those who don't. 
Those who live on this side of the track or those who live on the other. He sees people as a harvest. And when he sees a harvest, just as a farmer looks out into his field, you need to know that it's valuable. It's worth something. Come on, don't you ever let anybody tell you you're not worth anything. That is a a lie from the pit of hell. That is not how Jesus sees us. We know that a harvest has got to be gathered or it's going to be lost. Listen, a farmer knows that. And Jesus, as he looks over the city of Jerusalem, Matthew 21, I think he understands that. But here in Matthew chapter 9, he's trying to get his disciples. Guys, listen, we've got to do something about this harvest that is ripe, that is ready. If we don't bring it in, check this out. Somebody will. There's a thief that is out to steal and to kill. He is a crop robber, is he not? He is a harvest stealer. Jesus is saying, listen, we better bring this harvest in. If we don't, somebody will. They will. So, so somebody's going to control the harvest, people. And Jesus is trying to call his disciples, and I believe that's a word for us, the church today. Hey, listen, we got to bring this harvest in. He also, when you look at a harvest, it's It's urgent meaning that it requires immediate action. Because listen, I don't think that we as the church, as the body of Christ, can continue to sit around and wait any longer. You've heard me say, I don't think, I don't think we should be waiting on heaven. I think heaven's waiting on us. I think heaven's waiting on you and I to get about the harvest. It's urgent. Drastic times call for drastic measures, do they not? And can it, has it gotten any more drastic in your lifetime than what we have seen happening for some time now in our culture? How will we respond to this harvest before us? Will we respond? Will, will, will we step into and, and, and will we be a part of bringing that harvest in? Statistics tell us we won't be. Statistics tell us that only 2% of believers ever share their faith with a non-believer. Statistics tell us that, that, that one person gets saved for every 85 members of a local church. Wow. The harvest is plentiful. And I like that word plentiful. I like me some plentiful, don't you? You can tell I like me some plentiful. I, I told my wife last night, man, I want to wear my move shirt today. And so I put it on and she said, Ugh, don't you have a jacket that might, you might be able to wear with that? And Dave, I don't know what she was trying to imply, but here's the deal. You can tell I like me some plentiful. Is there anybody who said, I don't want plentiful. I just want scarcity. No, we want plentiful. We want it when we eat. We want it in our bank accounts. Do we not? Yeah. Harvest is plentiful. It's good. And Jesus is saying, hey, it's ready to be brought in. Will we step into this harvest field today? As we go, will we be a part of bringing something that's valuable to heaven? Something that's got to be gathered. Or if, if, if it's not gathered for heaven's purposes, man, the enemy's going to have a field day. Will we see the urgency for us to step into and be a part 
Well, of doing what Jesus did in Matthew chapter nine, going to where people are at, sharing the good news, announcing that the kingdom is here. It's near. Amen. How will we respond? I think people are ready to respond to the hope that we profess. I I don't know how it could get any more desperate than the times in which we live in. I think people are ready. They're they're, they're ready for us to share with them the story. What makes us us different? They're ready for that. I I love this this story. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches a message. It's, it's, It's not the greatest sermon ever preached because I believe that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is probably the, the, the better sermon. But this has to be right behind it, number two. Peter preaches a sermon in Acts chapter two. And, and, and people respond in an incredible way. 3,000 people say yes to this sermon. Come on, somebody. I mean, that's, that's like Billy Graham crusade, Reinhard Bonnke, whatever. It, it, that is that type of move of God. Amen. And, and you need to know something about this sermon that Peter preaches in Acts chapter two. It wasn't some feel good. God's going to bless you and fill your bank accounts. And oh, no, he's calling them out. Hey, you are the very ones that just nailed and crucified this Jesus to the cross. Come on. Y'all were shouting his praises prior to, but then you're the very ones that nailed him to the tree. He's calling them out. He's calling their sin out. You know, wasn't some feel-good stuff. And he's, but he's preaching with passion and conviction, and they notice something in him that's different. He preached for a long time, Scripture says. And I love this verse in verse 37. After he preaches, the people respond, what should we do? They were ready to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. They were ready to step forward and say yes. And 3,000 of them did. The church exploded that day. It had only been a church of 120 prior to this sermon in Acts 2. But then 3,000, the first mega church in history, birthed that day. Because a man consumed by the Holy Spirit stepped up and made himself available for the Holy Spirit to use him. Yeah, but man, Peter was the disciple. He had it all figured out. No, he didn't. He had anger issues. He just lopped the dude's ear off in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he just denied that he even knew Jesus. Come on, somebody. That ought to give every one of us hope that Jesus can turn anybody's life around and use them. He steps up and preaches the sermon of his life. And these people respond. Listen, People will respond favorably to the gospel if we will just share it with them. In fact, you need to know that in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus did not call the harvest the problem. He called workers the problem. Hey, listen, lost people aren't the problem in our culture today. We like to get mad and frustrated and say, oh my gosh, can you believe what's happening all around us? Well, if that gets you mad and fired up, do something about it. Why don't you speak hope and life and bring light into a dark situation? Are you with me here? Jesus wasn't blaming lost people. They're lost people. They're sheep. They need a shepherd, he just said. And he's calling out to us. He's saying, hey, you disciples, man, we need to. 
the lost people aren't the problem. Harvest isn't a problem. Workers are. I, I love the Billy Graham Association shares this, that 80% of people will respond favorably to the gospel if we will just simply share it with them. This is coming from a dude that, that traveled the world, crusades after crusades. 80% of people respond favorably to the gospel if we share it with him. And he also said this, and it comes through established relationships. Whoa. The reality is every one of us in this room knows somebody that's a part of this harvest that Jesus is describing in Matthew 9. We all know somebody. You know somebody, much like you did at church today. You know somebody by first name that you would say they're lost without Jesus. They don't know. They're like a sheep without a shepherd. They're wondering, they're, they're confused. They're just, and they, they don't know. We have the hope. We have what they need. And I think heaven today, much like Jesus here in Matthew chapter 9, is just saying, hey, listen, we need to do something about that. And you know what he says for them to do? Listen, I need you to all go back to synagogue and sit there week after week and learn some more. Or hey, I've checked you guys into rabbinical school here with Rabbi Theodore Know-it-all, whatever, you know? And, and you go in six weeks, hey, or here's a study booklet, here's the course. No, 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 that's not what he said, Randall. Jesus says, I need you to pray to the Lord of the harvest. You see, I think for so many of us, we are so content to, to just let somebody else do it or, or sit and soak for another week, and then I'm going to have the gumption and the unction to get out there and do something about it. no. Heaven agrees with me right there. <laughs> Jesus tells his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest. Do you pray for lost people? Do, 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 do you pray for, for, for God to, to save those that you know that don't know him? I, I hope you at least pray because... Again, statistics say that most of us don't ever talk about it with them, but do you at least pray? Now, I want to encourage you with something when it comes to prayer. I do believe that prayer changes things and prayer moves things and breakthrough happens. In fact, at the end of our service today, we're going to give you an opportunity if you need a breakthrough to come up and receive prayer from a ministry team. We just believe in that. We're not magical or we don't have that power, but we believe that God does I want to encourage you to be careful with what you pray for, though. Because if you pray for something, you just might become the answer to that prayer. And so when Jesus says, I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest, Jesus knows some stuff. He's Jesus, okay? He knows what he's about to do to them in, in a couple of verses later in the next chapter of 10, Matthew 10. Don't you pray to the Lord of harvest to send more workers. Listen, lost people, the harvest is not the problem. Guys, listen, we need to begin to pray that God would call some other people. Listen, you 12 are great. It's awesome. Although, no, one of you are going to betray me and sell me out. One of you going to deny me and cut a dude's ear. Remember, we talked about that. But listen, we need more people. Pastors aren't enough in the local church. The harvest is too great. The staff's not enough. We need more people. To enter the harvest field and rake it in. You better be careful what you pray for. Because you might just become the answer 
to the prayer. And with that, we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared for God to use us. We need to be prepared for God to use us as he shows us people that just need a touch from him. First Peter chapter three, verse 15 says, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always, when? Always be ready to explain it. Are you ready to give an answer for that hope that you possess? And I, I just really believe that the stage has been set for us as the church. And by the way, I believe in the local church. I really do. I don't think the local church is done. I don't because I know who's in charge of the church and it's him and until he says it's done, it's not done. So I love stats and I love researchers and I love, that's fine, but I just know who's in charge and you know, tell me the church is done. 353 people show up last Saturday and serve in a city. Come on, the church ain't done. The church ain't done. We're gonna continue to do what he's called us to do, amen? And look for more. But, but listen, I believe the stage is set. You have a prime opportunity right now to give a reason, as it says in 1 Peter 3, 15, for this hope that you believe in. It's a pandemic we've been in, 12 months, crazy. You have people saying, man, how come you're not so upset or worried about what's happening? Well, it's because I know who's in charge and I, I know how the story ends and I just choose to place my hope in Jesus and not just in my service. You know what I'm saying? We, 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 we know the answer. And 1 Peter 3 says, we need to be ready when someone asks us. Listen, you may not be able to recite the Roman road and you may not know 15 scriptures. You probably know one. For God so loved the world that he gave his we know that one. Can we be ready to give a reason for that hope that we possess, that hope that we believe in? Heaven's counting on that. Jesus looked at 12 and said, guys, listen, I, I want you to pray to the Lord of Harvest. I, I want you to pray that he would send more people. We did a study uh, uh, several months ago, a couple years actually, about, about the Holy Spirit. And we made this statement in it that Jesus inside of us is better than Jesus beside us. Now, some people say, what is that all about? Listen, it's great. Would it not be awesome to have Jesus physically walking? Absolutely. But here's what even Jesus knew. That's why I want to send you in John chapter 17. I'm going to send you a helper and encourager through his power at work with you. You guys are going to disperse and you're going to go and do greater things than me just physically walking beside you. That's why I got a Greg Lewis back here. Greg Lewis back here. We were going to pray over Greg today because he was about to head into to a, a country that's in need of light. And they told him he couldn't come right now. It's closed and we were going to pray and send him out. But that guy goes through the power of the Holy Spirit to places to be a light, right? He does that. And that same confidence and that same ability is available for every one of us in this room today. And Jesus is expecting us as we go that we're telling his story, we're shining the light, and we're bringing in the harvest. Verse 38 is the last verse in John chapter 9. And chapter 10, verse 1 says this. Jesus called. What did Jesus do? He called his disciples together. And he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease 
and illness. A few verses go on. It gives us the names of those disciples there. And then Jesus sends them out. And I love what he says in verse seven. You don't have it, but he says this. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. You see, up until chapter 10, the disciples had been with Jesus. They'd heard him teach. They'd seen him perform some miracles, cast out demons from people. They'd heard that sermon on the mount. They knew some stuff. And now Jesus is saying, hey, listen, the time is now for you to go. I've called you for a time such as this. He called them. They weren't drafted. He didn't twist their arms. They didn't volunteer. Jesus called them. These men were were not some uber qualified people to become a follower of Jesus. They weren't tremendously educated. Some were, some just fished. I'm not saying that fishermen are not educated. Don't be, I'm just saying they, they come from all walks of life. They didn't necessarily graduate from the, the, the finest Bible schools of the day. They simply were called by Jesus. And he empowered them and he equipped them and he gave them a vision to go and to heal. That same calling is for every one of us today in person and online that are listening. That heaven has called us to go in that same power and authority as he gave those disciples in Matthew 10. And he doesn't want to twist your arm. He's not trying to force you to do something that you don't want to do. That's not how he operates. But the question is, when Christ calls you, how are you going to respond? Will you respond when he calls you? Will you step into that? Will you become that vessel, that vehicle that God can use? You listen, I'm reminded, you know, when Jesus made his entrance into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he was doing what? How did he make his entrance? Anybody know? Anybody know? Riding a donkey, the most glamorous of all barnyard animals. Now, come on, think with me for a second. Did Jesus need a donkey to walk into Jerusalem that day? He could have walked in, just, he could have flown in. He could have poofed himself in somewhere. He's Jesus. Come on, somebody. But yet he chose a donkey to be the vessel. A donkey? Why not like a lion? Jesus always chooses to use things that maybe feel insignificant, unqualified, not necessarily looked upon highly or favorably by others. And I believe that Jesus is looking to you and I to be the vessel that he makes his entrance into the lives of other people. Jesus wants to use you. I'm not calling you a donkey. But I am calling you a vessel. You're called an ambassador. Scripture says we are Christ ambassadors. That means we are representatives of the king. And he wants to work through 
you. But how will you respond when Christ calls you? I love this verse in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. It says, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? There's another verse that says, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. Announcing the kingdom, proclaiming the kingdom. Can we be good news people? As we go, can we be the vessel that heaven wants to use to usher in Jesus? You know, this is an incredible opportunity. Even this week, so many people are geared up and focused towards, towards Easter this next week. And in fact, we, we've got a lot of things. I don't know if you've picked up one of these invite cards. I mean, the theme of Easter, man, this, isn't this really sexy? <laughs> Easter lilies and bright pastels and empty tomb and, oh, isn't it? No, it's not. But I think this describes the current culture in which we live in. People are hollow. And they need Jesus to fill them. Are you with me? Spoiler alert. That's what you're going to hear next weekend. Because this is an incredible opportunity this week. What will you do? Will you take an invite card today? Is there one person you know that you could simply invite to come? Hey, listen, I don't know if you've got Easter plans or a place to worship. I just want you to know that, hey, next weekend at 1910, man, we're going to be preaching about hope. We're going to be teaching about transformation that can take place in a person's life. Wouldn't you like to come? David Copperfield's not coming, but I'm telling you, pastor going to preach a sermon that could literally transform and change your life. We just love for you to come. You need a little hope in your life right now? Oh, you got it all figured out? Okay, that's cool. Go to the next person. Somebody needs some hope. Could you invite somebody? We had uh, Pastor Robert Chester walked in this week and grabbed a wad of these cards and said, bro, what are you doing? He said, man, I've given all my cards out. I need some more. I like that attitude. I like that. Putting yard signs in our yard, HOA people griping and complaining about it, Tony. and <laughs> Hallelujah. I'll pay the $35 for you, okay, bro? Um, we're going to do tattoos next year for everybody, permanent, and you're going to walk around and just kidding, we won't do that, but you put a yard sign in your yard. Will you invite somebody? Will you bring somebody with you? Hey, hey, will you at least do what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37? Would you at least pray? Can, can, Can we not all at least pray for the harvest? Can we not at least pray for a move of God? Not only here, but in all the churches in our city and area and globally. Can we pray for that at least? Right? Man, we got a, we got a, a full lineup of stuff scheduled and, and opportunity. We got a Maundy Thursday service. What the heck is that? Ooh, it's weird. It, it's awesome. Um, we, we, we have an opportunity to gather here Thursday night at 6 p.m. 
And basically what we do is we focus on that final night in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples and what took place there. We wanna encourage you to come. Listen, we've added an extra element this Easter. We've got a Good Friday service, but it's on demand. It's not in person. And so at some point on Friday, you and your family and your friends or neighbors can gather together and, and you can go to our website and you can watch a Good Friday service. Listen, I'm telling you, I don't want to spoil it for you, but it'll be well worth it. I can't wait. I've seen it and I rededicated my life to Jesus. It was awesome. That cool. I feel called to missions or something. I, I do. It's that powerful. So that's on demand Friday. And then we're going to gather here for five worship celebrations next weekend. I need to hit the gym. I need to do some cardio this week to get ready. We've got two on Saturday night with an Easter egg hunt in between. Dads, get your kids ready. Start training them right now, stretching, getting them loose and limber. Show them how to throw elbows to get them eggs. It's not about the Easter eggs, but we're going to gather next Saturday night for two and then all three on Sunday morning. Hey, what will you do? Can you do something? to to give people an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Sorry, but I just saw somebody here in this house that I've not seen for a long time. It encourages my spirit Thank you. I love that. Woo! Allergy season. The pollen is so bad in the hill country. Hey, would you stand with me today? And can we pray for a move of God? And Hey, ministry team, I, I told people that you were going to make yourselves available. Can you come make yourselves available to show them that I wasn't lying? <laughs> that we really do want to pray with you today over something you're dealing with? Can we just put our hands out right now just as a a sign of surrender? Basically a sign you say, hey, God, we want you to use us this week. Here we are, Lord. And Father, I'm praying that you would use us in a mighty way. Lord, I pray for your power, your spirit to to well up within us, to give us the courage to to step out and to speak out on your behalf this week. Lord, maybe it's, it's giving a reason for the hope that we profess. God, maybe it's simply inviting somebody. Maybe it's a text message, a phone call, a text, whatever. God, maybe it's knocking on that neighbor's door whose dog yaps and barks all night, but we're gonna get over that and we're gonna go invite them. They need hope and that dog needs deliverance. God, we are gonna pray above all things for a move of your spirit, are we not? We all can do that. God, I pray that this week as we go about our lives, as we go through school and as we work, as we brew coffee, as we seal deals, Lord, I pray that people say there's something different about you. I pray that Jesus would shine through us this week and that people would be drawn to Jesus. That's what your word says. Let people see your good works and good deeds, but glorify your Father in heaven. Let us always point people to you, Jesus because you're the reason, you're the hope that we profess. And Lord, as we gather this week, I pray that heaven would grow and that hell would be torqued off because the harvest for the kingdom is being brought in. 
all for your glory. It's in the powerful, awesome, majestic, unstoppable name above all names of Jesus that we pray. Amen.